you for this privilege to open the book of God to the people of God. And we ask your blessing, not only for the preacher, but for every one of us that will hear and seek to apply your word to our daily lives. For Christ's sake, amen. Several years ago, Pastor Joel Osteen wrote a best-selling book titled, Your Best Life Now, Seven Steps to Living at Your Full Potential. Now, I didn't read the book, Confession, and I'm not recommending that you read the book, but I want to use this title to make the following point. Millions of people are trying to figure out how to live their best life now. And there's nothing wrong with anyone seeking to live out their full potential. Nothing wrong with that. But no one will ever reach their full potential in this life until they consult the one who gave them life in the first place. And no one is ever really ready to live this life to the fullest until the question of their eternal life is properly settled. This is the fifth and final message in the Who's Your One series. This series is about focusing on the one person, the one person or one couple in your life that you want to lead to Christ this year. This series reminds us that every Christian has a God-given mandate, a God-given responsibility to share his or her faith. Of course, the ultimate motivation for sharing our faith is divine love of God, love of self and love of others. And so now when you think about your one, the question is, do you believe that they're living their best life now, do you think that they think that they're living their best life? And do you even care whether or not they're living their best life? You see, that's why I said a moment ago that our highest motivation must be divine love. Our Lord Jesus said the greatest commandment is what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So it follows that if God has revealed himself to you in such a way that you have put your faith and trust in Christ, his son, and you've repented of your sins and are now following him, if that is true, then you are learning to love God as God has loved you. You're learning to love yourself as not only a creation of God, but also a child of the living God. But it doesn't end there. God's love for you not only enables you to love God and yourself properly, but God's love also gives you the compassionate love for others, including those who are far from Him. So if today you find yourself unconcerned with the salvation of others, you should question your own salvation. Well, let's take a look at the example of one man found in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, beginning in verse 40. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 40. It's 
a man about whom we know little, very little. We don't know much about this man. He's only mentioned in the Bible a few times by name, and his name is Andrew. We know much more about his brother Simon, but it was Andrew who first introduced Simon to Jesus. Andrew had discovered his best life in Christ. And, and so naturally, he wanted others to have the same experience. And so Andrew became the guy that led others one at a time to Jesus Christ. Remember when Jesus was teaching? Thousands had gathered on an outdoor hillside sanctuary. It was late in the day, and Jesus had told his disciples to feed the multitude. And they thought he was crazy because they didn't have that kind of expense account to feed everybody. 5,000 was the estimate. But it was Andrew who spoke up and led that little boy with the two fish and five loaves of bread to Jesus. Another time, some Greeks were looking for Jesus, and it was Andrew who stepped up and made the introduction of these Greeks to our Lord Jesus. And here in our text today, we find Andrew introducing his brother Simon to Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 40 says this, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing that Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, and you'll be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Now, Andrew and John were most likely the first two disciples of Jesus. Remember, Jesus had 12 disciples. Well, Andrew and John were the first two. And the Bible says that the very first thing that Andrew did after finding Jesus was to find his brother, Simon, and bring him to Jesus. For whatever reason, God's will for Andrew was not to preach to great crowds or to write books of the Bible which bear his name, but that didn't seem to matter to Andrew. He was content bringing others to Jesus, individuals, one by one, to Jesus in his own unique and quiet way. Andrew was a man of quiet influence for the kingdom of God. He reminds me of the book, I think it's the biography of the famous African-American football coach who used to coach the Colts. And he wrote a book titled Quiet Strength. Who was his name? Tony Dungy. That's the title of his biography, Quiet Strength. Strength. Andrew was such a man of quiet strength. Uh, he brought his brother, to Pe- his brother Peter to Jesus, and his brother Peter did preach to thousands on the day of Pentecost. And Peter did become an apostle who wrote books of the Bible bearing his own name. But you have to understand, there would be no great apostle Peter if there was no quiet, influential Andrew. Very few people get saved without the influence of a friend, a co-worker, a neighbor, a relative who use their influence to lead them to Christ. Every one of us can be an Andrew. No exception. College students, you could be an Andrew. High school students can be an Andrew. Middle school and elementary kids can be Andrews. Men and women, 
senior saints can be Andrews. Peter may have had the limelight and the microphone, but Andrew had the light of influence and the voice of quiet strength. Peter drew large crowds. Andrew influenced individuals. Not many of you will have the microphone to preach hundreds to hundreds of people like I do every week. You may not have the privilege to travel the world and influence the many villages that I've been to. But God has given every single one of you a circle of influence. Your neighbors are not my neighbors. Your coworkers are not my coworkers. Your lost friends and relatives are not my lost friends and relatives. God has given you your own influence with the people he has uniquely placed in your life. So please, don't waste your God-given influence. Recognize that God has given you that influence for the purpose of expanding his kingdom and saving lost souls. You may be the only voice, the only hands and face of Christ that they will ever hear, touch, and see. Andrew appreciated the value of a single soul. The question is, do you and do I? It's possible that nobody here has ever heard of Edward Kimball, except maybe some Moody students. Edward Kimball had a teenage student in his Sunday school class who was illiterate and crude. One day, Edward decided he would visit his student, Dwight, to share Christ with him in the shoe store where Dwight worked as a clerk when he was not in school. On his way there, he began having doubts about his mission. Have you ever been prompted by God to do something, and then on your way to do it, you begin to have a conversation with yourself in your head, trying to talk yourself out of what God told you to do? You begin to make excuses for yourself or the other person that you've been sent to share Christ with. Well, that's exactly what was going on in Ed Kimball's mind. He was so caught up in his conversation of doubt and denial with himself that he walked right past Dwight's shoe store where Dwight was working. And soon he realized his mistake. He caught himself. He went back into the store, trembling, he said, in his boots. Here's a grown man trembling about sharing the gospel with a teenager. I was in his Sunday school class visiting. He found Dwight back in the stockroom and nervously rambled a few words about Christ and his love for Dwight. And miraculously, Dwight came to know Christ that day. Ed Kimball said he doesn't even remember much of what he said because he was so nervous about what Dwight might think or say and, and what Dwight's coworkers might think or say about Dwight when he left the store. Well, the rest is history. Dwight Lyman Moody was saved because his Sunday school teacher, Ed Kimball, nervously obeyed the command of Christ and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And tens of thousands of people have testified of being led to Christ by D.L. Moody in one of his many crusades. Tens of thousands of students have earned a Christian education at the school named after Dwight L. Moody and founded by him. Millions of people have read the tens of thousands of books published by Moody Press. And millions of people have listened and still listen to the inspirational music, preaching, and teaching of Moody Radio. All because one nervous Sunday school teacher obeyed the command of Scripture and the prompting of the Holy Spirit to lead one soul to Christ. 
So the question is, who is your one? Who's your one? Who's your one? Who is your one and who's your one? The reality is you might know your one's name, but you have no idea what God has in store for that one. You have no idea the infinite potential that is in the one soul that God has put in your sphere of influence. The potential is gloriously infinite. Don't waste your God-given influence over your one. Andrew not only saw the value of individual people, he also saw the value of insignificant gifts. When Jesus told his disciples to feed the 5,000 hungry villagers gathered on the hillside to hear him preach, it was Andrew who spotted the boy with a few fish and five loaves. He had a few sardine sandwiches, and Jesus said, here, give them here. I'll make them into a Moby Dick sandwich to feed the 5,000. It was Jesus who blessed that insignificant offering and turned it into something miraculous, big enough to feed the multitude and to have some left over. Andrew and all the disciples learned that day that there is no such thing as an insignificant gift when placed in the hands of Jesus. As the songwriter puts it, little becomes much when you place it in the master's hands. Some of us have an inferiority complex, don't we? You wonder, how in the world could God use you? You're too shy or too poor or too fat or too short or too white or too black or too Asian or too rich. Your house is too small or too shabby or you don't have the gift of hospitality. And you know what you're doing, right? When you have that self-doubting conversation with yourself, you're doing an Ed Kimball. You're making excuses and talking yourself out of God's mission for your life. And you need to stop it. You need to just shut up and repent and go shaking in your boots, opening your mouth, stuttering the gospel even if you have to stutter. But just do it. Like the Nike commercial says, just do it. And you know, millions, millions of people believe that Nike commercial. And that's why they wear Nike. Because they just went out and bought the Nike. Just like the commercial said, just do it. So they went out and got it thinking they're going to be Michael Jordan. And Lord knows there's only one Michael Jordan. But there are millions of people that believe the commercial. 30 seconds. Played over and over and over in their head. Just do it. That's what you need to do. Just obey the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Obey the simple command of Christ to be a witness to your one. While in Tanzania, two of our UBC church planters invited us to their home for dinner. I was excited to see their home and, and their neighborhood in the capital city of Dar es Salaam. We had, I'd known these guys for the last couple of years, but I'd never been to their home. And this year, each of them invited us to their home for dinner. I was even more delighted to taste their home cooking because Tanzanian food is very tasty. But in both cases, I was absolutely stunned at the condition of their homes. Now, I wasn't expecting a palatial mansion or a luxury condominium, but I was simply unprepared for what I did encounter. One pastor's home was so tiny and cramped, 
it almost felt claustrophobic as we, eight of us crammed in there together with him and his wife and sat in their living room, a space about the size of this here, this right here. That was their living room, and we sat, took up couches, took out plastic chairs, and I, I was like, so this is where you live. And they set out an incredible spread of food on a table that's smaller than that table right there. About half the size of that table. And we got plates and put them on our laps and helped served ourselves around that little room. And this place was in the slums. Like some of the slums I've seen in Rio de Janeiro, they call them favelas. It would make Cabrini Green or the Robert Taylor Homes look like the North Shore downtown Michigan Avenue, okay? And the other pastor's home and property was much larger by comparison, but totally unfinished. Bare concrete cinder block walls, no paint in sight. Shabby curtains that separated rooms. The bathroom was a small, tiny building outside with a ceramic squatty potty in the ground. Flies, mosquitoes just buzzing around, waiting to feast on you while you do your business. <laughs> but you know something? The food was absolutely exquisite. The joy of the Lord was on every face. The fellowship was so sweet. The pastor and his wife with the unfinished home has six children, three boys and three girls. The three boys sleep in one bedroom, the three girls in another, and then him and his wife in another. On Sunday morning, like today, the three boys wake up early, roll up their beds, and begin to prepare their bedroom for church. They transform their bedroom every Sunday morning into a worship sanctuary for about 25 people in their town. I asked Sister Cecile this question. If you lived in a home like these guys, would you invite anyone over for dinner? Would you feel comfortable inviting anybody to your house for anything, let alone dinner? And she hung her head and shook it like this. And I was thinking the same thing. But you see, they have already learned the lesson that Andrew and the other disciples learned that day on the hillside after Jesus miraculously fed 5,000. Little becomes much when you place it in the master's hand. You see, pride will make you embarrassed of your humble estate. But when offered to God in humility, he will use you and your humble estate for his glory and to make a difference in this world. Most of us would be so embarrassed to invite anybody over to such a raggedy place. But these people were so eager to host us in their home and to serve us a meal that they might only eat once a month with meat in it. Let me read you a letter. This same pastor with the six children whose three boys get up every Sunday morning and convert their bedroom into church meeting place. He says, we are the Kangela family, the family that's made up with, with eight people serving the Lord God here in Tanzania as missionaries. 
We are serving God in our country to reach the unreached people groups here in Africa. Our family is as follows. Samuel, father, 56, mother, Mary, mother, 46, Furaha, the firstborn girl, 23, Baraka, secondborn boy, 19, Faraja, third boy, 14, Amani, fourth boy, 11, and Upendo, fifth girl, 6, and Nima, sixth girl, also 6, or she's, no, the fifth girl is 9 years old, and the sixth girl is 6 years old. Your support has done a big difference and a very huge step in our family and ministry. It was our dream to establish this project, which will help our family and our ministry and other individuals. Here in Tanzania, ministry and family support is a big issue. Most of God's servants quit the ministry only for not having sustainable financial support to, or source of income, which makes it the family a uh, very difficult life. You're opening your hand, UBC, to us makes us to be encouraged to go on with our call and our serving the Lord joyfully. It was our dream for 10 years to start this turkey-keeping business. Clyde, do you have, did I send a picture of, uh, of turkeys? If you, if you have it, put it up so the folks can see. So last year when we came back from Tanzania, we said to our mission team and to the elders, we need to help these pastors with a micro loan so they can create a business to sustain themselves because their church is not large enough to support them like, like you support my family with a decent salary so that I can live in this city. These pastors don't have such a, a church. And so they came to me, us with ideas of giving them some financial support and they weren't asking for a handout, they are asking for a loan. And, and we said, we'll give you an interest-free loan, and, uh, and you tell us how much you can afford to pay back every month, and then we'll make sure you get the, the coaching that you need to launch your business and to, to make it a success. And now, he's got turkeys and ducks and chickens. He's built some concrete pens for them, so there's an outside pen area, and then at night they come in for safekeeping inside, and, uh, and they're able now... He was able for the first time to buy a home. And, uh, and little by little, they're fixing it up. But the home is, as I described, no paint on the walls. It's unfinished. I mean, it, it, it looks like a construction site. But they're living in it. And it's theirs. And, uh, and it's paid for. There's no mortgage on it. Uh, like many of us have mortgages in our homes and our condos or what have you. And uh, that's how they roll there. But he says, you opening your hand makes us to be encouraged to go on. He says, the project will bring a lot of changes in the future in our life and in our ministry as well. We receive from you through your pastor's hand 1.4 million Tanzania shillings. That's 200 and, no, that's $630. So that was the loan we gave them, 630 U.S. dollars, which is 1.4 million T-shillings. The average person there earns about $5 a day. That's their earning. Like you're a grown person, you go to work, you work hard. At the end of your work week, 40 hours of work, you get $5 a day times 40 is what? 200? 
$200 for your 40 hours of work, okay? And so now we constructed the turkey house, construction still going on, we bought three turkeys, one male, two females, we now have four chicks and we're still working to get more. We are looking to be producing more than 50 turkeys a year, from that we will start selling. The main point of our letter is to say thank you, Uptown Baptist Church. We really appreciate your assistance. Welcome to visit and see our project. With the heart of lovely friends and family in him, our master and savior, the Kangela family. <laughs> Pride will make you embarrassed of your humble estate, but when offered to God in humility, he will use you and your humble estate for his glory and to make a difference in this world. Finally, Andrew saw the value of inconspicuous service. As far as we know, this guy Andrew, as far as we know from Scripture and Christian historians, Andrew never preached to large crowds. He never planted any churches. But he fulfilled the Great Commission one person at a time. Andrew was a leader with a servant's heart. He didn't bring people to Christ to be publicly noticed or recognized. He didn't do it because he wanted to be in the limelight. He did it because he was loyal to Christ. He did it because he himself was changed and he knew that he now was living his best life and he wanted other people to experience the best life you can ever have both here and forever. He willingly and faithfully served in the background. Christian tradition notes that Andrew took the gospel to Russia and possibly as far north also to Scotland. But he was crucified on an X-shaped cross back in Greece because he led the wife of a Roman governor to Christ, which infuriated the governor, especially when his wife would not turn away from Christ. And while he was being tortured on the cross, his life slowly ebbing away, do you know what Andrew was doing? He was urging people who passed by to follow Christ while he was nailed to a cross and bleeding and in excruciating pain. It's Andrew. It's incredible. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 1, 27 to 31, he says, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Brothers and sisters of UBC, this is our best life. This is our best life now and forever, the life that is in Christ Jesus. Let me leave you with one more word from the lips of our Lord Jesus himself. John 10, 10 and 11. John chapter 10, 10 and 11. Jesus, teaching his disciples, said, The thief 
comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so, brothers and sisters, don't be deceived. And don't let your friends, family, and co-workers be deceived. No matter what their lives look like on the outside, no matter what kind of car they drive, what zip code they live in, or what titles they have behind their names, their best life can only be found in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Absolutely. And Jesus laid down his life so that we might live our best life, both now and forever. And so don't waste your God-given influence over your one. Pray for your one. Befriend your one. Serve your one. Love your one. Share your salvation story with your one. Invite your one to your home as humble as it may be. You say, well, I can't cook. Boil some water. Pour some tea. Anybody can do that. Go get you some butter cookies and put it out on, even on paper plates. Don't let anything stop you from being the hands and feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever means you have, use it. Offer it to Christ and say, God, remember Moses? He tried doing an Ed Kimball. But God, I, I stutter. I can't, I can't talk to Pharaoh. God says, I've chosen you to go talk to Pharaoh. He tried that. Didn't work for Moses. Whatever you have, don't dwell on your limitation and what you don't have. Take whatever little you have and say, God, here I am. I'm willing. Don't have any money in the bank? Do, do a Cecile. God, I think you're calling me to go. I want to go. Here I am. But you're going to have to provide. And God says, I can do that. It's not too hard for me. As long as I know I got your heart and your willingness to do what I've asked you to do, watch me. So don't give God your excuses. Give him your yes. <laughs> give him your yes. Give him your yes. Just say yes to God. In fact, turn to your neighbor and say yes. yes. Practice saying yes, God. Yes, God. I'm going to be obedient. But you're going to have to help me. I want to be obedient. I will be obedient. But just help me in whatever deficiencies I think I have. You help me. And God will. He will help you. He will encourage you. He will, in your weakness, he will be strong. And you'll be amazed at how God will use you if you just say yes to him. And who knows? You might be the one to lead the next Billy Graham to Christ, the next D.L. Moody to Christ. You might be the one that leads the next Beth Moore to Christ. The potential is limitless in the one that God has put in your sphere of influence. So let's stand as we worship the Lord in response to his word. Every head bowed, every eye closed. It's God's time of invitation.
What is God saying to you this morning, this afternoon? Has he spoken to your heart? I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey. Maybe you're here today and you're wondering, I don't know how in the world God could ever love a person like me. Well, wonder no more. God doesn't care about where you've been and what you've done because he knows what he's already done for you. He gave up his one and only son to be sacrificed in your place. Oh, God knows that you deserve death and separation from him, but he loves you too much to let you go in that direction. So he sent his son to die on the cross for you so that you could be forgiven. And there's no sin too great that cannot be forgiven by God. So don't even try to talk your way out of God's grace and mercy for you today. Because your sin is no match for God's grace and mercy and love. He loves you with an everlasting love. And you can receive God's love today. You just need to humble yourself and say, God, yes. <laughs> today I want to say yes to you. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for me. Thank you. You can come to the altar today as Philip is playing that great song. Come to the altar. So if God is speaking to you about salvation, and today is the day of your salvation, why don't you just come so that we can rejoice with you, we can pray with you, and help to lead you to faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. The altar is open. Step on out. Folks will pat you on the back as you come. Folks are praying for you even now all around you without even knowing your name and what's going on in your heart. You come. Others of you are here today and maybe you're looking for a church home. And this might be the place where you would call your church home where God wants to use you to join hearts and hands with us for the work of the ministry. And so we would encourage you to come and learn more about our church membership class. I'm sure there's one getting ready to get started in a few weeks and you can learn more about that before you join, know what you're getting into. And before you walk away, know what you're going to walk away from by joining the class and checking it out. Others of you are here and maybe you're already saved and you've never been baptized. You've never followed God's command. Christ says, those who follow me must be baptized. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But you've never obeyed that command. There's something about it. You just need to go ahead and do it. Say, now is the time. It's time for me to follow Christ in baptism. And we can help you get ready for baptism. My father came to me before the service and he said, hey, my daughter has gone through the class and she's ready to be baptized. And, and I'm so excited for this father and little girl as she's going to be baptized. She's been prepared. She knows that baptism doesn't save anyone, but it is a, a sign of your salvation. And you are following in Christ's footsteps and you're being obedient to him.
Anybody else, you want to come and just make a public profession of your faith? Let me ask any of our elders, deacons that may want to come and meet those that want to come to the altar to pray. Elders and deacons, you just step out and come forward so that others can come and meet with you, pray with you, be encouraged. Maybe you're here and you say, you know what, I've been hiding from God, I've been running from Him, I have not been sharing my faith, and today is the day when I want to be obedient. I'm committing to be a witness to my one. I want to put aside, about, put aside my pride about what I don't have or what little I have or the estate, the humble estate of my existence. I want to put that in the hands of Christ and humble myself and just do what God has commanded me to do and share my faith. Maybe that's where you're at today. Whatever is on your heart, you come. Let us pray with you and encourage you. Maybe you just have a prayer need. You have a heavy heart. There's, you're in the middle of a crisis and you just need somebody to help you Take that burden off your heart. Shoulder that load with you at the altar of prayer. We'd love to pray with you. You come.